0: Hey guys, it's your host Sam Thornton. Before this episode begins, I wanted to promote the DL Sports Instagram page. The page has a wide variety of sports content with graphics, reels, highlights and more. So before this episode begins, what I want you guys to do is go ahead, pull out your phone and follow the Instagram page at dLsportscom. That's at C-O-M. Thanks guys and enjoy the show. On today's episode of On the DL Podcast, we are talking everything football. We have an interview with A to Z Sports Dallas writer Mauricio Rodriguez, who covers the Cowboys in Dallas. A full weekend full of football, unpredictable outcomes, so many upsets in both college and NFL football this weekend. We will recap NFL Week 1, college football Week 2, and give some updates on injuries and other developing breaking news stories throughout both leagues, and to finish the show, Carlos Alcaraz is your U.S. Open champion. As always, we have a lot to get into, so let's not waste any time and jump right into this episode. Welcome to episode number 11 of On The Deal Podcast, and the NFL is back in full effect. Let's jump right into these games. There's no introduction needed, and we're going to start with Thursday night football, Bills at Rams. What a great way to start off the NFL season. Bills 31, Rams 10. The Bills, they're the Super Bowl favorites for a reason. They went into SoFi Stadium and took care of business. They did nothing but take care of business on Thursday night. Josh Allen was absolutely electric, absolutely on fire, 26 for 31 on the night, rushed for over 50 yards despite having two interceptions. This guy is one of the best, if not the best quarterback in the NFL. He has proved himself that he is not afraid of the moment. I mean, he was running the ball with physical nature, stiff army defenders, getting into scrums with Jalen Ramsey, who we know they've been beefing on and off the field. Jalen Ramsey was getting burned all game long by Stephon Diggs. Josh Allen was fighting Diggs wide open almost all the time throughout the night. This guy loves the competition, and you could definitely see that it is very visible in his eyes whenever he's driving down the field with that football in his hands. He has that competitive edge. Not a lot of people have that. Not a lot of people have that fire, that moxie that he carries with him. His weapons on offense... They were clicking all night long, like I said, Stephon Diggs. Not to mention Gabe Davis showed why he is not just a one-hit wonder from that Kansas City playoff game last year. They are the best receiving combo in the league, and they proved that on Thursday night. You cannot tell me otherwise. You can rave on and on about the Bills' offense. We can go so many different ways. We know the run game struggled slightly. Singletary had a couple big runs there. But what impressed me the most about this Bills team was the defense, and specifically the Bills defensive line. We will get to Matt Stafford shortly, but the two guys on that D-line and Jordan Phillips and Ed Oliver were swarming Stafford all night long. They were great. They were nothing short of great. They were always applying pressure. They let nothing by them in the run and pass game. Nothing. Nothing. That defense forced, what was it? Four turnovers for the Rams. The Bills had three turnovers on their own, but only let up ten points. Whenever that happens, you have to give credit to the defensive unit, specifically that defensive line. Cam Akers, we know, didn't get a lot of touches, but Henderson was in the game a lot. Really didn't put up that much. Really did not put up that much at all. You think about the Rams' offense and the weapons they have at their place, at SoFi Stadium, defending the crown, and you only give them ten points. Off of three turnovers. That says something to me. That is a legit defense. We knew coming into the season they were going to be the number one defense in the NFL. But they definitely stepped up to the plate and show what they were capable of on Thursday. When you think about the Rams, I mean, geez, this is just a tough night unless your name is Cooper Cup. Stafford, 29 pass attempts and 13 of those attempts were to Cooper Cup. He didn't even think about targeting anyone else didn't even think about looking at Allen Robinson. There were multiple issues within this offensive unit. You can mention what I just said about the diversity and the pass attempts, but also the O-line was atrocious. They couldn't protect Stafford. They couldn't buy him time to make significant plays. There were only occasional moments when that was the case. And what stood out to me even more was the run game for Los Angeles. The run game was bad. Henderson, he gets the start over Cam Akers. Everyone thought Cam Akers was going to be the guy. He was decently high on draft boards. A lot of people took him as their second running back in fantasy football. Akers only had a handful of carries the entire game. There was no established run for them. If it was, it was just a power run on a third down. It was so evident that people were trolling the Rams on Twitter. I saw one tweet that said, just wait until the Rams get Saquon Barkley in December. I don't think that's going to happen, by the way, but just a joke. I know Stafford had poor protection on the O-line, but I mean you do have a lot of new pieces on that line. When you lose Whitworth to retirement, have injuries on the left and right side, it's hard to establish that protection immediately. It clicks, as we know, like every position in the NFL, especially in the NFL. We know it takes time, I'm not going to give him slack. That elbow did not look great. And not trusting your other receivers, you go out, You get a guy in Allen Robinson, Odell Beckham Jr., not on the team. You go to Chicago. You go to the Bears. Hey, Allen Robinson, join the team. We'll give you a lot of targets. One target on the night. And he was open numerous times throughout that game. Sean McVay is going to have a hard time building this offense back up to what it used to be last season. And if I'm him, I'm trying to get Odell Beckham Jr. back to the Rams As soon as possible. And we don't know what his status is. He goes online after the game. Tweets, Bills Mafia, what's up? I'm expecting a December return for Eldo Beckham Jr. We don't know where he's going to go. But that is my guess. Takeaways from this game. The Bills are legit. They are legit. They are a legit contender to win the whole thing. They're going to win the AFC East, I think with ease. And they didn't even play their best and still wipe the floor with the Rams. All positive signs for Buffalo fans. The pressure is palpable, but this is the real deal. Okay, let's head down to Miami. Mike McDaniel becomes the first coach to defeat Bill Belichick as a first time head coach in a matchup. Dolphins 20, Patriots seven. I don't even know where to start here. There's so many angles to this game, but let's focus on the Dolphins first. The Dolphins impressed me. They looked really, really good all around. They pretty much dismantled the Patriots. They wore them down. They grinded them out. Great play calling by McDaniel. Great game by him. I was excited to see the new Dolphins offense, of course, with Tyreek Hill, who is still very much relevant to have played well, but not out of his mind. He had 270 yards, 23 for 33 on the day. And you know what? As long as he does that, I think this team's going to be pretty successful. Just like the Bills, the Dolphins defense, they are probably the most slept on defensive unit in the NFL. They are a top 10 defense. Solidified. Absolutely. I've always been a fan of Xavion Howard, and he comes up with the huge deflection on the first drive to force an interception. Melvin Ingram gets the sack touchdown in the second half on Mac Jones. The defense was causing trouble all day for Mac Jones. They did not look comfortable all game long. There was never an easy completion for the Patriots in this game. Every drive was a challenge for them, and it directly correlates with the play calling. We're going to address the elephant in the room. As we know throughout this offseason, the Patriots never hired an offensive coordinator to the squad after the departure of Josh McDaniels to the Las Vegas Raiders, where he is now the head coach there. Now we have no idea who is even calling these plays for Mac Jones. Is it Belichick? Is it Patricia? We have no clue. Maybe it's a mix of multiple coaches, which in what case is that a good idea? You have a second year quarterback who had a terrific rookie year under McDaniels, 10 wins on the year. You know what he's capable of. You need to get him settled down quickly within a system, one-on-one relationship to build that trust, build that chemistry within your offensive schemes and using multiple coaches with different opinions different play styles with a guy that young is probably not the best maneuver. Bill Belichick, as we know, is a smart guy. And I think that after this performance, we will see a solidified offensive coordinator within the next few weeks. I think it's a fair assessment to say that. I don't think that any of this has to do with Mac Jones. Second year in this league, we saw how effective he was as a rookie. There just needs to be an established play caller to guide him to the success we know he can be at. The O-line was something I was worried about during the preseason for the Pats, but it wasn't terrible. It really wasn't terrible. There were a few sacks in there, but the play calling was the issue. The Patriots' defense could have played a little bit better, especially on third down. There were some conversions that the Dolphins capitalized on. I know one of them was from the speed killer, Jalen Waddle, former Alabama player. A lot of them were from Tyreek Hill as well. Listen, that's a tall task to ask for with those two guys side by side, absolute speed killers. But if you want to win games, you got to close out your drives. You got to close out your drives. Two attack of Iloa now three and zero against Bill Belichick in his young career. Browns in Charlotte against Baker Mayfield, revenge game for Baker Mayfield. Browns twenty six, Panthers twenty four. Listen, as you guys know, I am a Panthers fan. Disappointing. Disappointing, not the outcome you want. Listen, I understand that the Panthers fought back in this game, but that was a heartbreaker. You can't beat the Browns, led by Jacoby Brissett. It's going to be a long year. going to be a long year, plain and simple, plain and simple. Baker and the star players didn't play well enough to win this game. I know he came back in the fourth quarter, 17 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to lead your team back not good enough. Where was that in the first half? Where was the consistency in the first half? Where was the aggressiveness in the first half? Where was that play calling in the first half? I know the second half wins you games, but you cannot perform like that in front of your home crowd with a new team, with a new season. How can you come out with that kind of energy? DJ Moore, only 40 yards on the day. McCaffrey, only 33 rushing yards. The Panthers were led by Robbie Anderson today. Robbie Anderson. That was the leading receiver for the Carolina Panthers. First half, as I mentioned, tough to watch. Was happy about the way they played in the second. Baker played significantly better. Willed that comeback. Just wasn't enough despite 17 fourth quarter points. The Browns defensive line, they had its way with the Panthers. The O-line of the Panthers, we know this was a problem last year. We know that they go out, they get Icky out of NC State, left tackle on that O line, but it was still a very rough showing for that unit. And that also is going to take time, just like I spoke about with the Rams. And that unit is a lot more talented than the one they have in Charlotte. It's a young unit. It's a hard task going up against Miles Garrett week one, and they were not ready for that. On the other side of the ball, the defensive unit for the Panthers, they weren't together, costed them 26 points. 26 points the run game. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt had themselves a field day on that defensive unit. Still better than last season. Still better than last season all around. I was happy with that performance compared to what we saw last year in weeks four through 17. Takeaways, we need more weapons. We need more weapons on this team offensively. We have DJ Moore. You talk about DJ Moore, you talk about Christian McCaffrey you need deeper players more reliable guys because this O line is not giving Baker enough protection plain and simple it's not going to give anyone better protection and I know you can come out and say hey it's not about the it's not always about the O line the quarterback play makes a huge difference but when it's this poor you need we need better players you need a beefier, o-line you need better receivers you need another guy i know we have chuba hubbard where was he you need a more consistent secondary back you need that on your team as for the defense they got to tighten up ship they got to tighten it up you get flags late in that late in that game late in that drive that goes down they go down get the game winning field goal costly mistakes costly mistakes by the defensive unit they need to be better I know they can be better. Last year, in the first few weeks, they were outstanding. One of the best defenses in the NFL. And then it all comes falling apart. Matt Rule, you got to fix this, man. You got to fix this. Craziest game of the day belongs to Steelers and Bengals. Steelers 23, Bengals 20. Joe Burrow, four picks, five giveaways in this game. Is Joe Burrow still that guy? Because he sure didn't look like himself in this game by any means. The Steelers' defense is going to carry this team to a winning record. I said it here first. I believe that. Honestly, I'm not sure how they even got to 23 points offensively. We know they had some defensive points. But man, Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin is the guy. He is the reason they won this game. He is the reason his players never quit on him. And as long as he's the head coach, the Steelers are going to be a competitive team. They are going to work every single day. They're always going to be relevant. The Steelers had half the yards that the Bengals had. But when you have five turnovers on the game, that's going to haunt you. You can't win with five turnovers. I don't care care what happens later in the game. You cannot win with that many turnovers. Mika Fitzpatrick, TJ Watt, all over the place in this game. We saw T.J. Watt, unfortunately, go down with a torn peck. We're not sure if that is completely confirmed, but you could see him mouth the words as he was being helped off the field. Obviously, huge loss for the Steelers. Watt is probably the best defensive player in the NFL. If not one, he is two. And those Watt brothers, man, they go so hard and care so much about winning. But their physical play always comes back to get them, and it's sad to see that because... They're just grinders and they just want to win so bad. We know what the Steelers can do defensively, but if they want to seriously become a threat to win the AFC North, they need to step up their run game. You have Najee Harris. We saw he had a reception. We had a reception for a touchdown, a receiving touchdown earlier in this game, but really didn't run the ball that great. Really was not that effective in a lot of different ways. Deontay Johnson, the stud he is, he came out to play. But you've more. You got to have more diversity in that offense if you want to win more games. You have to have more diversity. The defense is going to bail them out a lot this year. Is Mitchell Trubisky going to lead them to wins? I don't know about that. Is that defense going to lead them to wins? Absolutely. The defense is the rock of this team. And it only takes a couple injuries, like we just saw with T.J. Watt, for them to come falling apart. So right now, I don't know what to think of the Steelers team. They thoroughly impressed me in week one, clearly getting the win over the AFC champions at their place. Divisional matchup, not an easy task. When you lose your best defensive player, probably your best player on this team, that's hard. 24 points in fantasy this week for the Steelers defense. As for the Bengals, you got to love Jamar Chase. He is so fun to watch. Always turns on the Jets in the clutchest moments for the Bengals. 10 receptions for 130 yards. you got to be counting your blessings as a fan. You have to be so thankful that they ended up taking Jamar Chase in that draft a couple years ago over an offensive lineman. I mean, I knew this game was going to be a bloodbath to start out the year, especially in the AFC North with that gritty mentality. You knew it would be competitive. I believe the Bengals are going to bounce back from this loss. Burrow, he has that moxie about him. He will not be put to bed easily. Do not expect this kind of performance next game. I think he'll even, if you're a fantasy owner, What don't cut him. Do not cut him. He's going to come out and have himself a game next week. I'm pretty sure they play the Cowboys. And as we know, they're dismantled now. They have the Cowboys next week in Dallas. So that will be a good time for them to bounce back after their struggles against Tampa Bay. Packers and Vikings Packers 7, Vikings 20. Guys, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I think the Packers are finished. I know, I know, I should not be saying that whenever you have Aaron Rodgers on your team. Anything is possible, but that offensive performance was one of the worst I've seen from them. Even last year against the 49ers was more promising than that. Stephen A. Smith would be all over me right now for that take. But what was that performance? I get it. I get it. You have a brand new offense with a brand new group of wideouts who aren't even considered, if we're being honest, a normal third option on a competitive NFL squad right now. Talk about Sammy Watkins, Romeo Dubes. Those guys, Christian Watson, they are not third options on the Buffalo Bills right now. I would take Isaiah McKenzie over them all day long. The lack of receivers getting open. Along with the O-line throughout this game, it was not pretty at all. Not to mention the Green Bay defense didn't even play very well today, allowing Justin Jefferson to walk all over them. Jefferson, 184 yards on nine receptions. That is Randy Moss-type level. Jefferson right now, I think he's the best receiver in the NFL. I don't know if it's a debate anymore. You could bring up Chase in that conversation, Cooper Cup in that conversation, Devonte Adams in that conversation. But wow, this guy is special. Can you believe that that 2019 LSU team had Chase and Jefferson as the wideouts for that squad? No wonder they were one of the best teams ever. No wonder. If I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm calling an emergency closed-door meeting with my receivers, Christian Watson, Sammy Watkins, Romeo Dubes, even Robert Tunyon. What's the deal? You want to know who led the Packers in receiving yards in this game? A.J. Dillon. Green Bay was led by their backup third down running back in receptions on Sunday. There is no excuse for that, and I'm sorry. I understand you lose one of the best in the game, Devontae Adams, who, by the way, went off this weekend against the Chargers. But you have to get these guys going. It's week one. I get it you have to establish that chemistry now before it gets ugly i mean Devonte adams he had 140 yards on sunday by himself compared to 120 yards put up total by the packers receivers against the vikings on sunday one guy had more than four guys that shows you the problem if you don't already see it they got to figure it out soon or else the vikings are going to run away with this division title And quite frankly, they might do it easily. Finally, Sunday Night Football, Bucks at Cowboys. We're going to save most of the talk about this game for our interview with Mauricio Rodriguez up next. But pure domination from Tampa Bay, winning this game 19-3 inside AT&T Stadium. Biggest takeaway, of course, is the injury of Dak Prescott. I mean, you never want to see a guy get hurt, but Dak is starting to turn into glass. Let's just be real. Let's just put it out there. The best attribute a player can have is availability. And that is a weakness for him. Let's not push it to the side. Let's not beat around the bush. Needs to get surgery on his thumb, which is on his throwing hand. Will be out six to eight weeks. The Cowboys have officially been eliminated from the playoffs. They are nothing without him. Nothing. And this is not a fresh statement. We've seen this before. Even before he got hurt in this game, they were not playing well. He only had 130 yards in this game. There is not an identity to this Cowboys team. you got to feel stupid for giving Dak the massive extension and the fact that Dak gets a max contract before Lamar is honestly hilarious. And I know we talked about the Lamar possibility of his contract earlier in this podcast. I believe it was last episode. Cooper Rush, he's going to be the starter. And if you're Mike McCarthy, you already know your ass is on the line. You got to be praying. You got to be hoping for a miracle to happen. You got to be hoping for the best scenario would be to get four wins, four to five wins. Most likely, you're going to come out three and six, and then you have to win off seven in a row. I don't see that happening, even in the NFC East. I don't see that happening, especially with the way we saw – the NFC East teams performed this weekend. All of them got wins except for Dallas. Tampa Bay, on the other hand, they looked great. Tom Brady continues to defy the odds and keep winning. He has never lost to the Cowboys still. I believe his record is 7-0 in his career. The O-line. A lot of question marks there. A lot of injuries that occurred this offseason. Ryan Jensen's center. Other dismantled parts. The O-line looked great. Mike Evans. One of the most reliable receivers in the league. I mean, that one-handed catch was something special. Talk about a guy who you can trust. Talk about a guy you, who you can always throw the ball to in the red zone. Tampa is going nowhere. They can win this thing again. Believe that. Okay, guys, we now welcome on a very special guest. It is A to Z Sports and Dallas. Writer covers the Cowboys specifically. Also host of Primetime on A to Z Sports, Mauricio Rodriguez. Mauricio huge fan of your work and what you do welcome to the show
1: man how's it going hey sam thank you for having me and it's going well it's going well however you know we're still trying to digest the dak prescott injury from last night so you know we're hoping for the best
0: (laughs) absolutely well i definitely want to get into the cowboys with you specifically here but i also just want to hear your initial overall thoughts on week one of the nfl season what stood out to you? Any surprises or headlines that you want to mention?
1: Ooh, some crazy stuff, man. I was watching uh, I was watching the Bengals game and the Steelers game at, in in the noon period of of the week and it was a crazy game because I I've, I've gotten a lot of questions throughout the last few years maybe when, you know, you're starting to make make these 53-man roster projections and all of that and people wonder, "Why do you carry – a long snapper on a team? Why don't you have a tight end do it or a left guard do it or something like that? And I've always tried to explain just how difficult it is to long snap in the NFL. And we saw that on that game versus the the Steelers. The Cincinnati Bengals could have won the game, but the long snapper was injured. They had a third string tight end doing doing the duty of a long snapper and it ended up costing them the game among a lot of other stuff because, you know, Joe Burrow had five total giveaways and that sucked, but crazy game. Whenever you have, you get this, you know, back and forth, missed field goals, the games get pretty wild and then the tie starts to become a reality, but the Steelers held on to the to the lead and they ended up taking the win. That's definitely one. How about the Kansas City Chiefs as well? 66 plays, 33 first downs. That was insane. Uh, the Chiefs are still the Chiefs without Tyreek Hill. So that's pretty much something, a storyline that we can stop.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, totally. I agree with both of those things. The game of the day absolutely belong to the Bengals and the Steelers. Getting into the Cowboys now, I mean, off the bat, let's just address the elephant in the room. Dak Prescott out six to eight weeks due to a thumb injury, which he suffered in the fourth quarter against the Buccaneers on Sunday night football. Once again, Dak Prescott will miss significant time for the Cowboys. We know historically the Cowboys struggle without Dak Prescott the QB position. What are the Cowboys going to do without Dak?
1: Well, that is the big question that we will likely find the answer to over the next few days or maybe even the next 24 hours because Mike McCarthy did sp- uh, speak to the media today uh, earlier on Monday, and he talked about the possibility of adding a third quarterback. Now, the question becomes, What kind of quarterback are they thinking about? Are they thinking about adding some depth to the quarterback room? And maybe you get uninspiring, deflating names like Ben DiNucci or maybe even Garrett Gilbert, who was also a backup for this team about uh, two years ago. Or do you get a big name, maybe a more exciting prospect like Cam Newton, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, the veteran who's out of the league right now, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's already retired, There might be also some names that are already on NFL rosters. People have speculated about Jimmy G. I don't think that's a possibility just because I think that the asking price from the Niners will be way too high for the Cowboys to pay. But how about Mason Rudolph, for example, with the Steelers? Mason Rudolph buried in that quarterback room right now in Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett being drafted as the 20th overall pick. We know he's the backup. We know that Trubisky is the guy right now, but you never – even though Mike Tomlin has already said that Trubisky is a starter for the whole year, that's coach stock and we don't trust coach stock that can change at any moment. But Mason Rudolph is buried as a third string quarterback for the Steelers. And I'm guessing a day three pick could get you his services. And I would look into that for sure. Uh, I think they're going to add somebody. I just don't know what of these, uh, where will he fall in those two categories? Will he be an uninspiring name? Or will he be a, a a an exciting one? At least a fun one because it's going to be seven games of No. Dak Prescott, eight games maybe. So my guess is Dak Prescott returns for Week Ten, which is after the bye week. In Week Nine, uh, the Cowboys have a game at Lambeau on that specific week, and I would guess that maybe winning three to four ball games keeps you alive, even though the the prospects would not look great, but. They could keep you in the mix that way. I don't know what they will do, but I strongly believe they need to sign somebody. Even if they trust Cooper Rush, you need to have a plan B, right?
0: Totally. Totally agree. And it's so interesting that you bring up a name like Cam Newton because just before you hopped on, I was scrolling through Twitter on my timeline and I see NFL rumor bot Cam Newton thinking about hearing rumblings of Cam Newton in Dallas is that? Do you think that's a possibility or do you think it's a reach? What do you think they're going to go with here? I know you mentioned a guy in Mason Rudolph who I think is a terrific prospect if you're thinking about winning more than two or so games when Dak Prescott is out. Where do you think the Cowboys are going to end up going with this?
1: Uh, I think Cam Newton has to be in the mix. I just look at the Dallas Cowboys and as a fan of the Cowboys and as someone who has followed them so closely uh, you know, for my entire life, you get to know that they're pretty conservative, right? Uh, so it's difficult to know if they will get the home run swing in and maybe try to bring somebody that's experienced in the NFL that's actually won football games because he did win them. I know that the, his career didn't pan out exactly like he wanted to, but a Cam Newton is, a, is the best option if you want the exciting quarterback play on game day that might win you an extra game or two extra games, even though he will risk the football, even though – you might need to heavily adjust your offense for those few weeks in the language of your offense. And you might need to play some pretty vanilla offense at first. I, I think that signing Newton would be optimistic. Maybe I think it's going to be, uh, man, I, I don't want to make like a guess, but I would say Mason Rudolph is a pretty good bet. I think that, that, that option makes a lot of sense. But at least for the first couple of weeks, I could see Cooper Rush being the quarterback of this Cowboys team, the guy that's already on the roster. Just because Dallas likes to play it safe. That's the way that they've done this thing for a long, long time. And even if you look at the Cowboys players that are already on the roster, you have Will Greer on that practice squad. And Will Greer gives you the most exciting play between the two of them. However, Cooper Rush is the safe guy. Cooper Rush is the guy that will not risk the football that much, that he will take the check down. He will throw the pass short and all of that, but he will not risk the football. like will, we will. And the Cowboys went with Cooper Rush because of that same reason. So I just, I I am ready for the conservative approach of the Cowboys, just sticking with Cooper Rush, to be honest. Hopefully I'm wrong. I'm hoping I'm wrong. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and we'll see what happens. And obviously, overnight, because of the injury, the odds have shifted in the NFC East title. The Cowboys now have the longest odds to win the NFC East at plus 550. Is there any hope that they can string together a few wins during Dak's absence? Let's say that Cooper Rush is the guy during that time. When you take a look at their upcoming schedule, you have the Bengals, Giants, Commanders, Rams, Eagles, and Lions over that next six-week period where we think that Dak is going to be out. Realistically, do you see three or more wins on that on that schedule?
1: I think that's the best case scenario. Three wins. I was I was thinking about the possibilities. I'm just not going to. And anything can happen in the NFL, of course. But I will, you know, refuse to to say that the Cowboys will beat the Bengals or they will beat the Rams or even the Eagles because the Eagles have a pretty complete roster. And yeah, we good. already saw what the offense looked like, even with Dak Prescott. So that was far. Far from encouraging. But that game versus the Detroit Lions, even though they scored 35 versus the Eagles, uh, that game versus the Chicago Bears, those have to be winnable games just based on what we know about those teams and them having uh, some of the thinnest rosters in the NFL. And then the Giants in Washington are tough because I feel like I don't know who they are yet. Uh, The Giants, of course, escaped with a win versus the Tennessee Titans. Brian Dable showed just how gutsy he can be going yep. for two on that final moment. I love that, by the way. Yep. I thought that the Jaguars were going to be the commanders. They didn't. Uh, Carson Wentz played surprisingly well, but All that's the Carson place. Wentz. Yeah, Carson Wentz, that, that's the experience you're getting with Carson Wentz, right? Uh, he might throw for three picks next week. You just don't know. So you can you can skate with a win maybe in the NFC, I would say. And if you can get those two wins versus the... NFC North, I think that's your best shot at at, at putting together three wins. But even that seems optimistic if Cooper Rush is the guy. If you end up adding somebody like Cam Newton, I don't think that I could rule them out for, for the Giants game and the Washington game. And of course, those two that we mentioned, Detroit and Chicago. Now, the thing about adding somebody from the outside is that it takes time. So If they do end up signing Cam Newton, for example, and and we're making that assumption, he's not going to be ready for next week, and maybe not even week three, because you need to get him acclimated to the language of the offense, to your whole playbook, your whole offensive philosophy. So I would guess that if you add somebody, he could be getting start. uh, You could start him maybe until week three, week four.
0: Yeah, and I I I totally agree with that, and. Cam Newton is a guy who's so, like you said, he's so energetic, pulls so many fans towards the screen. Everyone wants wants to watch Cam Newton. I grew up a Panthers fan, still am a Panthers fan, so I know the hype around Cam Newton. Unfortunately, no, awesome. like you said, his career did not pan out the way he wanted to. But you did mention earlier, I want to go back to this, the performance that Dak Prescott was having before the injury occurred. And when you think about the expectations for this Dallas Cowboys team year in and year out, I mean, America's team, we're always going to have a lot of pressure, a lot of heavy expectations on them. What were your expectations for this team this season before the injury occurred last night? And did that performance even before Dak's injury, did that cause any serious or significant concern for you?
1: It definitely did because we knew that the Cowboys needed more help at wide receiver. We knew that the coverages were going to be condensed over CD Lamb consistently. I just got a little bit disappointed with the overall game plan and the fact that Dak Prescott, and I'm a huge Dak Prescott fan. I think that he is a legit quarterback in the, in the NFL, but he clearly was forcing things early in this game. Right, right off the bat from the first quarter, it felt to me like Dak Prescott was forcing plays and he was trying to be a hero. And I'm not sure that this was a game to be a hero. I, I thought this was more of a game to play it safe, get the short completions in, the, the high percentage throws in and just try to win the ball game with good defense and old school football, right? Whether it's quick game in the passing game or, or just run, running the football and pounding the rock. Uh, I thought we were going to see a better display from the Cowboys offense. I think everyone did, even though I expected a low-scoring affair at AT&T Stadium. I expected somewhat like a 20-17 to 17 game Bucks winning it. That was my prediction, actually. I didn't expect three points on the board, so it was concerning. Now, I did think, I, I did have the Cowboys as the winners of the NFC East. I think this changes everything, as you said the betting odds were a reality check for Cowboys fans because i know that odds makers can get things wrong but overall they're they're pretty accurate they get pretty close to you know when these developments happen they they get it pretty pretty accurate so i think it's a reality check for the Cowboys you know if you head into week 10 with a 3 and 6 record so even if you play it optimistically right we were talking about three wins and you get there on week 10 with a 3-6 and six record, even with Dak Prescott back, with Michael Gallup back, and even say that James Washington comes back, do you pull off seven, seven wins on that final stretch? Do you get to 10 wins in the, in the NFC East? I, I'm not sure that, that the Cowboys would be able to do so. The division is out of reach right now. Divi- I think that unless the Philadelphia Eagles end up being a big disappointment, the NFC is just gone. I think it would be, it would have to be a wild card spot for the Cowboys in order to get in. But then you have a lot of quality wild cards. There's the Vikings and the Packers in the, in the North. There is the Saints in the South. There's the NFC West that might end up with three teams in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. you know, I think it's a tough place to be right now for the Cowboys.
0: In reality, it is better that they are in the NFC instead of the AFC this year, as we know, with the juggernauts in that conference. But yes, all those teams that you mentioned, especially the NFC West comes to mind. I think after this weekend, we can definitely tell that the Vikings will be a playoff team. So you think about all those different teams still going to be a huge, huge mountain to climb for the Dallas Cowboys, even if... Dak does come back, and they do get, let's say, maybe four or five wins. But let's discuss the offensive unit for the Cowboys. You mentioned C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb is a guy who's had to take over with the number one receiver slot for this team. And with the departure of Amari Cooper, he's had to carry the load in training camp, and he has a lot of pressure on him. And without that free space that he was able to obtain in the seasons beforehand with Amari and you mentioned Michael Gallup, other guys taking up, corners covering them and and all over the field do you think that cd lamb is going to be able to pan out to be a true number one receiver for this team
1: i think so yeah and stephen jones was on the radio saying that he needs to be better and and he needs to step up which to me is just completely missing the mark because as you said he doesn't have the space and of course to be a number one in the nfl You need to be able to beat double coverage. So that Mm -hmm. is fair. CeeDee Lamb might not be in that conversation with you know the Justin Jeffersons of the NFL or the uh, Jamar Chases of the NFL. He's not there, definitely not. But I think he can evolve into a true number one wide receiver. But if you think of of those number one dudes around the NFL, they all have a number two guy and they all have a number three guy. And, And as you said, there's somebody else just drawing that coverage as well. I think that as when Michael Gallup gets back, we will get a better answer there because Michael Gallup has always been the X receiver for Dallas. So he's going to be the guy lined up, isolated on most of the plays and all of that. So that's huge because NFL teams need to decide whether or not they double the X or they just leave him on an island with a cornerback. We'll see when Michael Gallup comes back if CD Lamp is up for that challenge. I am still optimistic, though, on CD's career. But, you know, last night on on the season opener, you want CD Lamp to catch that football, for example. Even though Dak's pass was a little bit behind him, CD Lamp needs to make that a catch. And it's the same issue that we saw in week one from CD Lamp. I'm not, you know, uh, selling my stock on CD Lamp or anything like that. I do believe, however, that he's far from the NFL's elite pass catchers right now.
0: Yeah, and when you talk about a guy in Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase is on the same page, those those two young guys, I mean, that's world-class talent, and you don't see that very often. So I do think you have to be a little bit patient with a guy like C.D. Lamb, who I think will evolve, like you said. And there's also questions about the run game. Uh, Jerry Jones has come out and said multiple times that Zeke is our long-term solution in Dallas for the run game in our backfield. Do you agree with that assessment, or do you think by the end of the season, we could possibly expect to see more love towards Tony Pollard?
1: I think we already kind of did in, uh, on Sunday night, not in the sense that, you know, Tony Pollard overtaking Ezekiel Elliott's role, but the snap counts were close to even last night. And I thought that was pretty interesting when most of the time we, we saw this kind of 55, uh, 45% split between the two of them or a 60-40 kind of split. Maybe we will continue to see way more of Tony Pollard. I think that Ezekiel Elliott is still the number one and he will remain the number one as long as they're both on the roster. Who knows if next offseason the Cowboys decide to move on from Sick or not, but as long as they're both on the roster, Zeke is going to be the number one guy. I think that's just uh, how the Cowboys look at him. And I don't necessarily blame them I think that Cowboys Nation is right in wanting more from Tony Pollard. I think he deserves more playing time. He deserves to be way more involved and all of that. However, I understand the frustration about Ezekiel Elliott's contract, and I agree with it, and I actually didn't like the fact that they signed him to that deal when it happened. But if you put the value aside, he's still a pretty damn good player, and he still shows up every single week to play when he's healthy, especially Last night, we saw his value as a pass protector, you know, late in the game, in these passing downs, they had Tony Pollard in there to block for Dak Prescott, and he wasn't up for the challenge. Mm -mm. And I had some people in my timeline, for example, saying, oh, man, Kellen Moore sucks. Why would he have Tony Pollard in the pass protection scheme, blah, blah, blah. And I get it. And I, I mean, it's a fair point, but also, do you want to see more of Tony Pollard? because that's what it's going to take. You will not have Ezekiel Elliott there in 100% of the plays in which you need a running back to pass protect. That's not how it works in the NFL, because then you would complain about how predictable the Cowboys are, right? You need your players to do everything. And Tony Pollard last night, that was one area in which he left a lot to be desired, and we'll see how he progresses on that area. But yeah, I would be... I would be surprised if, with both guys being on the roster, Zeke becomes the number two running back. I don't think that happens. You make a terrific point with the whole i think I think the really the big, the big thing
0: is just how Zeke got the contract. I think that is what yep. Cowboys fans are most upset about in the fact that it's not bad at all to have a fifty fifty split between these two guys. I mean, you look at mm-hmm. teams who have a powerful duo in the Cleveland Browns, for example, with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, and that works out great for them. I think it really is just the fact that they put so much trust in Zeke to the point where the contract says it should be 60-30 like last year, but with the progression of Tony Pollard last year at the end of the season specifically, I think that really did elevate his game, and I think a lot of people on the coaching staff noticed that he needs more touches, and when when you talk about the coaching staff, let's talk about Mike McCarthy, the head coach. What do you think the future is for him? Let's say Dak is out eight weeks like we believe he might be, and the Cowboys are only able to string out a couple wins. Will fans and you know Dallas media give McCarthy the, the benefit of the doubt for Dak's injury, or do you think he's going to be on the hot seat?
1: Uh, I, think, I think he's been in the hot seat since the moment the season started. I, I, don't, I have a tough time believing that the Cowboys will move on from him mid season. I don't think that will happen. But if the Cowboys don't make it to the playoffs next year, I, I have doubts that McCarthy will be around for Dallas in 2023. That might be the right call, and it's pretty overwhelming to think that Sean Payton is out there. And I, it's it's such a cliche storyline, and I'm I'm sure a lot in Cowboys Nation are done with it. But it's pretty true. Sean Payton is out there. We know that Jerry Jones regrets to this day letting him go, Absolutely. so he might he might believe that it's it's the way to make things right, bringing him back. We know that Sean, and this is important, we now know that Sean Payton was in discussions with the Miami Dolphins. Yep. And that is huge because last uh, off offseason, I wasn't sure if, you know, does Sean Payton really want to keep coaching or not? Did he genuinely retired from the New Orleans Saints because he didn't have it in him anymore to coach an NFL team? By the sounds of it, when you hear about that, whole drama story with the Miami Dolphins, you kind of think, you know what, maybe he does want to coach football, uh, even even to this point. And that that has changed my perspective of this whole storyline. And I do think that if Mike McCarthy ends up out of Dallas next year, Sean Payton is the, is the top candidate for that head coaching vacancy. And if, he's not, and if it's not him, I could see Dan Queen being promoted to head coach just to keep him around on defense. I, I do not see Kellen Moore being, you know, called up, being promoted to the head coaching job. I do not see that happening. But yeah, I think I think Mike McCarthy's seat is one of the hottest in the NFL.
0: I would agree with you there. And I would also agree with you that I think that Sean Payton does want to coach again. And I had yeah. I had suspicions about that even before the Dolphins news came out. I think that he was going to be on the move eventually. And as we know that we know... Uh, He's he too young, t- right? He is too young yes. to, and, to and, retire. And he has ties with the, with the Cowboys from, from years past. So we know that he might be on the move. I think that long-term, that could be the better solution for the Cowboys. But we'll obviously have to see how things pan out.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I also think that he could be a solution to a lot of the problems. I just hope that if he gets there, if he gets here, it doesn't become the same old, same old storyline like we just had with Mike McCarthy, you know, the guy that has won his Super Bowl, that's bringing mm-hmm. Super Bowl experience with him and all of that. But I, I would say that what makes Sean Payton different from from Mike McCarthy and the success that he had with Aaron Rodgers is just the fact that even when he left, the Saints were were like a playoff caliber team. Even last year, Though, even though the Saints didn't make it to the playoffs, they were pretty close. And that's after a season of plays in which they had to start Ian Book. They had to start Taysom Hill. And even now that he's gone from the Saints, they might still make the playoffs because they have a pretty decent team put together in New Orleans. And that really speaks to you about the quality of Sean Payton's job when putting that roster together and all of that. So hopefully... It would be a different story with him coming into the Dallas. I hope so, for sure.
0: As you know, it definitely all starts with the culture, and I do think that Sean Payton had a significant impact and footprint on that team, of course, along with Drew Brees and everything that he did for the Saints, but you definitely have to give credit to Sean Payton as well. I have one final question for you. This has been great. Give me your MVP for week one. It could be a player, defense, head coach, any tangible or intangible thing at all. What is your MVP after week one of the NFL season?
1: Of the NFL season, that, that was going to be my first question. Can I choose from any single game? I'm going to say Von Miller. I, I am oh, just yeah. excited about Von Miller in Buffalo, man. And I've been excited about him the entire offseason. I've had the opportunity to cover the bills for ADC Sports the last couple of months. And it's exciting what he's done off the field and on the field because people look at Von Miller and they see this prime pass rusher, which is quite accurate, but he's also helped. You, you were talking about a, the Coulter just before now that we were talking about Sean Payton, Von Miller is bringing Coulter into the Buffalo Bills, and he's bringing the experience of having been in two Super Bowls, having won the two of them, one. You know, just last season, it happened last season, which is something that's crazy to think about with the LA Rams, and you can see that he still has the explosiveness of the edge, you can see that he's still that top-tier pass rusher that we think he is, but also, I don't know if you watched that hype video that they put out with Von Miller, which is insane, if you haven't seen it, I recommend looking at it, uh, you know, after you, you get done with this podcast, because it is a message to a franchise that has a history of losing in the Super Bowl, you know, mm-hmm. the four faults of Buffalo. And the way that he's been able to come in and change that mindset for the Bills just beyond the football field has been so impressive to me. The guy is helping the front office make, you know, free agent signings. And Brandon Bean talked about it uh, when they signed the punter after the whole Matt Ariza debacle, the they signed. Uh, I forget the name of the of the punter. Is it Sam Martin? I actually think it's Sam Martin. Uh, they signed him, and it turns out that Von Miller actually texted the GM to, you know, suggesting the punter. And that's just one of many examples of how he has helped that team. He wants to be a general manager in his post-playing career, which is interesting. So it's just been fun to watch Von Miller play for the Bills. And, you know, he capped it all off. Way big-time performance on Thursday night football last week.
0: Yep, you had two sacks on Thursday night. Talk about a perfect way to start out the season. I mean, what a matchup that was. Very sloppy on both sides a little bit there, but a great matchup. I'm going to go my MVP. I'm going to go Brian Dable. We talked about him earlier. New York Giants get a huge win over the Tennessee Titans, going to Tennessee, handling business, taking chances. And the way that you can already see – that foundation, the way he's impacting that team in the locker room. If you saw a video of them celebrating after the win, they are already buying into what he has to offer and bringing to that team. And you just love to see it. I mean, the Giants are a team. They've been bad for a while now. And as you know, in the NFC East, they've been struggling. They have weapons that have never really panned out with, with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. And it's I think this season could be a transformation for them after watching them week one.
1: Yeah. Hey, I love that pick. I love that pick. You know, as a Cowboys fan, uh, it might hurt a little bit, but that was fun to watch with the, with the New York Giants. Absolutely.
0: All right, Mauricio, thank you. This has been great. Thanks so much for joining the show and giving us your insight on the Cowboys for the season. You're always more than welcome to come back on anytime. Make sure to go follow him on Twitter and check out his work on A to Z sports Dallas. Mauricio, thank you again for joining.
1: Nah, thank you, Sam. I always enjoy talking football, man. It's been great.
0: Moving on to college football, and we begin in Austin where Alabama barely escapes from Texas. Alabama 20, Texas 19. Game-winning field goal from Will Record. Talk about having a heart attack during a game. That was one of the most stressful games I've ever endured myself into. To be completely honest, Alabama 100% should have lost this game. Most penalty flags... From Alabama in the Saban era, forget what the total mark was, but it was probably somewhere around 15. No discipline, missed tackles, questionable play calls. These were the issues that came to mind for me in this game for Alabama. There were missed calls on both sides of the ball that Alabama got away with, and most notably the missed holding call at the end of the game that allowed Bryce Young to escape the pocket and get the first down, which set up the eventual game-winning field goal. And another holding call in the first quarter, where Kool-Aid McKinstry held up the text receiver in the end zone. However, that's just how the story unfolds sometimes. And Alabama got extremely lucky to win this game. Not only with the play calls, not only with the flags, not only with the missed calls, but Quinn Ewers gets injured in the first half by a tackle committed by Dallas Turner, which, by the way, was a clean football play. There should not have been a penalty on that play. I disagree with that call 100%. I don't think in in Turner's position, there is nothing you could have done. When you see a quarterback scrambling, throwing back in the pocket, letting it go towards the end zone, yeah, you're going to hit him. You're going to hit him. You're making a football play. There should not have been a penalty on that play. I disagree with that call. But if Ewers doesn't get hurt, I hate playing what-ifs here, but we would have lost that game. And I think we would have lost that game pretty soundly. I'm just being real here. The biggest issues on the defensive side were obviously the penalties and lots of missed tackles. There was also no pressure from the entire defensive line. Where was Will Anderson and Dallas Turner all game? We let the Texas quarterbacks, Ewers, and their backup have way too much time. Way too much time. The backup for for, for Texas when he came in the game got a little bit banged up a few plays in was hobbling and scrambling in the pocket and you still couldn't get them. It was shocking that Texas, that Texas's O-line was able to dominate us in the way that they did. Shocking, shocking. The thing was that the penalties weren't even committed by, by young guys who weren't used to this pressure and new to this environment of the game, who were new to this kind of stage. You had Will Anderson committing three or four penalties during this game. The whole unit was way too riled up. They were not zoned in on the task. They were too boiled up, man. They were not not looking good. They were not dialed in. And I'm going to be quite honest with you, this trend on the road with this Alabama nucleus from this year and last year, you think about last year on the road, Alabama struggles against Florida, Auburn, A&M, They are not performing well in these atmospheres. I don't know what it is about these growing pains. I don't know if these growing pains are real. I don't know if those teams are playing their best games. I don't know if we're struggling in that environment. But I really thought that a year of experience at playing at the highest level would shed off those growing pains, shed off that trend that we experienced last year. And it doesn't get any easier for Alabama and the stretch they have coming up in a few weeks. Remember, they have to play Arkansas on the road, who looks great right now, 10th in the AP poll, Tennessee on the road, who's a top 25 team, Ole Miss on the road, who's a top 25 team. All of these teams ranked inside the top 25, which scares me. I'm not saying that Alabama can't do this. I am not putting doubt in my team. I believe that they are going to win all these games, but they cannot play the way they did on Saturday. If they want to win all three of these games, they have to do better. The defense was an issue, like I just alluded to, but what stood out to me more was the play calling from Bill O'Brien. There were multiple play calls that made no sense in this game. Think about the run game. Jameer Gibbs, early on. Chase McClellan, early on. Huge run, gives us a touchdown, gives us a lead. You have to establish the run game. If it's going well in that area, why are you stopping? There were multiple play calls that made no sense, and the media is starting to catch on to this. They were third and twos, throwing checkdowns, hoping for blocks to get up the field. There was one sequence where Bill O'Brien decided to call that play consecutively on second and third down, and it was so frustrating to watch because the run game was dominating early in that game, and they just gave it up. They just gave it up, and it's not like our receivers aren't capable of making big plays. And it got to the point where even the announcers were saying, oh, Alabama doesn't have a solidified wideout or a speedy wideout. That's not the narrative at all. I know Tyler Harrell is injured right now. He is the speed demon on this team. But even guys like Jermaine Burton and Kobe Prentice, those guys can run. They have legs. That is not the narrative that is happening right now. We have studs on the wideout position and probably the best wide receiver room in the nation. It's on the play calling. It absolutely didn't help that Texas's D-line was dominating our O-line on top of that. The biggest difference in this game was in the trenches. Alabama got dominated in the trenches all over the line on both sides of the ball. And I understand the O-line adapting and improving. We knew that was a weakness last year. We know that takes time. But the D-line was a shocker. I have no idea how that D-line was not able to get pressure. You're Will Anderson. You're supposed to be one of the best defensive players in the country. Maybe one of the best ever. And you're not winning one-on-one matchups. On our liner note, we had upsets this weekend. How about App State and Marshall getting wins over top 10 teams? A weekend of the underdog, both in the NFL and in college. And listen, I can understand the App State one to an extent. App State is always competitive. They are a good football program. They are not a bad team at all. They've competed with the best names in college football, as we know. 15 years ago, it's where it all began. The upset in the big house against Michigan. But Marshall, that's the one. That was lost. loss I don't think anyone would have guessed happened. I get that. I think that solidifies Notre Dame are indeed frauds. I was impressed with them against Ohio State too, but that's just the beauty of college football. I don't know where they are in the AP pool. They might have fallen out of the top 25. I have no clue, to be honest with you, but that is the end of their season, and that was pretty fast. App State could be a top 25 team after that win. Can't remember if they got in. Maybe they got some votes. Maybe they are not quite in just yet. If Think about if they had taken care of business against UNC week one and then ran the table in the Sun Belt they could have been a top 15 team to end this season Mountaineers are a wagon look out for them later on in the season Jimbo Fisher I don't know what the fans think about him down there right now but you got to be questioning him at some point you have to question this level of play right and I know he took accountability for this loss he came out and took full responsibility the loss of this game you just can't believe that it's going to work out with him eventually with the trend we're seeing right he's caught up in this two, in this 2013 play calling this florida state hype and it hasn't adapted to the modern era of college football i don't care what recruits you get if you aren't calling the right plays and you're not getting these players to buy into the system you're not going to win games Not only that, you're not going to win a national championship like you're hoping to. Tough look for Jimbo Fisher. See you in a few weeks in Tuscaloosa. In other college football news, Scott Frost has been fired from Nebraska after losing to Georgia Southern over the weekend, letting up 45 points. Yes, that is 45 points against Georgia Southern. Not a shocker here. When you think about some of the worst hires in college football history, This has got to be up there and you sign him long term to a suffering program In return you get even worse spending millions of dollars. Bold take, but I'm going to come out and say it guys, the next Nebraska head coach is going to be Urban Meyer. I'm serious. I'm not even trying to be funny. I think Nebraska is going to hire him from an availability standpoint. When you think about the best coach that is out there, it's him. And I know he's a scumbag. I don't think he should ever coach again, nor do I think he should be on this Fox crew doing the pregame work that he's currently doing with that team. But for some reason, we live in a world where terrible people get hired and get third, fourth, fifth chances. And I'm not sure if Nebraska will hire an interim head coach and see how things go from there, or if they just want to clear shop and develop something brand new. But Urban Meyer is definitely a possibility. To finish up the show, we're going to show some love to the new number one player in the world. U.S. Open champion Carlos Alcaraz defeated the five seed Rude in the final to capture the U.S. Open title. The youngest player to ever become the number one player in the world. 19 years old. In the history of tennis, he is the youngest guy to ever do it. He is the next great. First, the U.S. Open a lot better than I thought it would be. The atmosphere, the intensity of those matches were absolutely electric. Of course, everyone was watching Serena play and also Tiafu versus Alcarez match was amazing too in the semifinals. But definitely exceeded my expectations. Usually just stand by and watch the Wimbledon in the summer. But this is definitely right up there in terms of atmosphere, the whole setting. It was great. Let's talk about the new era of tennis. Alcaraz. At the head pack of guys like Sinner, Biratini, Rude, Tiafu, all these guys are the new generation of tennis. And don't get me wrong, the Joker, Nadal, they're still playing at an elite level, especially for their age. But in a couple years, Alcaraz will unanimously be better than Djokovic. Absolutely. You could defy the odds, you could beat Father Time for as long as you can, but when you think about Djokovic, it's like, dude, Go get your COVID vaccine so we can see you play more. We miss watching you play. And now with Alcarez on the scene, people need to see this matchup while it could still be at the peak at its height. But maybe since he's climbing in age, this is a good thing for his mind and body not to play as much and rest up for the biggest moments. Could be a blessing in disguise. I mean, it really just depends on what you think is better. Would you rather keep the edges sharp and play often, but your age is going to take a hit? Or would you rather take a step back and compete whenever you want to to save some gas in the tank? Either way, we need him back on the scene. I want to see that much-anticipated matchup. Goes without saying that tennis players, some of the best athletes in the world, all the respect to Carlos Alcaraz. I mean, this kid is special. If you haven't seen him play, the amount of shots he was able to make throughout the tournament, they were jaw-dropping. I mean, he was doing drop shots between the leg shots, serving with ease. He's definitely the best in the world right now. I don't think that's up for debate after what we saw in this tournament. All right, guys, that is it for this episode of On the DL Podcast. As always, I appreciate you guys tuning into the show. Lots of great content coming up in the future. The Deal Sports website should be up and running within the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that announcement via the Instagram page. I'll be posting lots of articles daily, so I'm very excited about it, and I'll see you guys next week.